Our lesson this morning, we're looking at what I've called the monsters under your bed, things that we are that we are afraid of, things that we fear. It's not uncommon for children, hopefully adults are not this way, to have fears of things being under your bed. Sometimes you used to hear the phrase, the monster under your bed, we think it was as a child, sometimes maybe there was something under our bed, something that was in our closet, something that was scary that caused us to have maybe our parents to come in and to check under our bed, to check our closets. When I was much, much younger, and my parents, my father had a large shed built outside when I was a kid, uh, say shed, shop actually, it was so large he used it to paint UPS vehicles when I was really, really small. So it was a very, very tall building. And for whatever reason, he didn't have a light switch by the door. When I, when I remember, there was a pull chain for the light in the very center of that big garage. And of course, once you turn off the light in the center of the room, it's hard sometimes to see your way out because it's completely dark now. I remember growing up, that's the thing that I did not really look forward to. That's what you might say I feared in some ways because you had to find, be able to feel your way out and reach the door that you can get out. Hopefully you didn't break your shins on something on the way out. But we think about things that we may fear. We think about the monsters, so to speak, under our beds. Those things that, that in our lives really strike fear in us. You know, as Christ speaks here in Matthew chapter 10, backing up for just a moment, Matthew 10 and verse 28, well, he reminds them here in verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Well, who is able to kill the body? Well, individuals on earth can take our lives from us. Maybe disease or sickness of some type can take our lives from us. But that doesn't affect someone can kill us, but not take our soul, right? He says in verse 28, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And we think about that idea. We know we're not talking about the idea that our souls are going to be destroyed in hell. But the idea there is, is a continual destruction, a continual pain and agony. And he says we should fear the person who can do that. Well, we know who can do that. God can do that. What causes fear in a person? Well, to really understand what we're talking about, we want to define the word fear. Fear can be defined as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. You've been aware that there is a certain danger. Some of our friends were out on a vacation the last couple of weeks out through Colorado and various places, and they were posting pictures. And several of their pictures involved bears. <laughs> now, to me, that is an awareness of danger, isn't it? But fear can also be defined as just a reason for alarm. Are there things that happen in your life that causes you to become very alarmed, very nervous, very afraid? Which brings us to our one of our main questions this morning. That is, what do you fear? Think about that for a second. I'm not talking about spiders or snakes. 
I'm talking about what, when you think about it, you wonder if you are prepared to handle it. This, this fear that you are you know, weary of comes into your life in such a way that you have to deal with it. Are you able to do so? The faithful Christian, as we go through this, I want to begin by recognizing that the faithful Christian, again, not just anyone, but the faithful Christian should put their trust and faith in God, and therefore they should have no reason to fear. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. How many times have you, do you think you've heard that verse in your life? Maybe thousands, right? Some of the one of those you hear sometimes at funerals. Which to me is kind of interesting because the funeral is a little bit too late, isn't it? And so we think about verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I try to point this out when I talk about this. You notice there he doesn't say the valley of death. He says the valley of the shadow of death. Meaning it's a place of danger. Not a place of actual death, but a place of danger. If you're walking in the shadow of something... It means you're very near to it, right? It's a place of danger, the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. He says, though I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How often have you been afraid and maybe you walk a little more quickly? As a child, you're afraid, what do you do? You probably run, right? This walk here in verse 4 seems to show a sign of confidence, right? He'll just walk through that valley. Why? Because he says in verse 4, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Who is the thou in verse 4? It has to be God. He doesn't have to run through the valley because he's afraid. No, he walks through it because he knows, as he says there in verse 4, who is there to comfort him. He says, For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But let's think about some things that should be feared. What should the unrighteous fear? What should the unrighteous fear? If you were to think about this for yourself, what comes to your mind? What should the unrighteous, the non-Christian, or the wayward Christian who's no longer following God, what should they fear? Shouldn't the number one thing be judgment day? Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You think about that for a moment. Every work into judgment. Every work into judgment. How are we living before God? If we're not a Christian, we have to be those who, we should be those who are in a state of fear. Because a non-Christian, are they prepared for the judgment day? How can you be? You can't be unprepared and prepared at the same time. We think about judgment day, but we have to realize that consequences of sin bring fear. Because we find in verse 14, what is going to be brought into judgment? He says, every work, whether with every secret thing, meaning there's nothing hidden, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God is the one who reminds us here 
the writer that everything be brought into judgment. The New Testament reveals to us that it's Christ who is the judge. We are reminded there in the book of Revelation that on the judgment day, the Bible refers to the book of life, but also then also refers to what's called, he says, the book, the books are opened in the Lamb's book of life. The books, many believe to be the word of God. Looking at our lives, our work based upon God's commandments and seeing where we align and where we don't. He will bring every work into judgment. What else should the non-Christian, the unrighteous person fear? The desire to be like the world. Because if we're like the world, we're not going to be like how God wants us to live. We're not going to be like God. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 1 says, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. And you don't, don't be envious of those who are evil, even though they seem to be prosperous, right? Elon Musk is possibly the most wealthy man on the planet. When they have judgment, can he buy his way into heaven? No. Neither can Bill Gates or Buffett, whatever Warren Buffett, I think his name is. They can't buy their ways into heaven. On the day of judgment, none of that matters. Their bank account might as well be zero. And so we think about this in verse 1. I say that to say because there are those who view success and preparedness in the terms of wealth. And we can't do that. Be thou not envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Don't be like the world. We have to live around them. We have to deal with them. But friends, they are souls that we are to reach out to, not souls in which we should try to model our lives after. Those are just two things that the unrighteous should fear. Judgment day and the desire to be like the world. Because when you're trying to be like the world, you're still living in the world. You're still living in sin. You're still living in darkness. And heaven is beyond your grasp. For that reason, we should not desire to be like the world. Think about this. What should the Christian fear? What should the Christian fear? Now we talked about already how the Christian, the faithful Christian, should have nothing to fear. But sometimes you have to realize that as Christians, we too have things we have to try to fight off. One of those things is becoming self-righteous. If you look at uh, Luke chapter 16, looking at verses 14 and 15, the Bible says here, and the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. He's saying you're trying to justify yourselves there in verse 16. Justify yourselves before men. It doesn't matter what men think. The world is not our standard. Just because someone says it's okay doesn't actually mean it's approved of by God. Just because someone says, I don't see the problem with it, doesn't mean it's right before God. And we find here in verse 15, that's what's being taught against. That's what Christ is addressing. These individuals who are trying to justify themselves, they are trying to be self they are self-righteous. They're justifying themselves before men, as Christ says here in verse 15. But what's the problem? God knoweth your hearts, meaning God knows who you really are. You're not really righteous at all. 
He says, for that which is highly esteemed among men, that which is acceptable among men, he says, is an abomination in the sight of God. Abomination sometimes is defined as something that's morally disgusting to God. There are things that are okay with men, but God says in an abomination, they are disgusting before Him. Here a few weeks ago, remember the whole Roe versus Wade overturning things in the Supreme Court. We have people out, outside of that building, outside of justices' homes, shouting things like, my choice, my choice. It is your choice. Whether you choose to save life or to take it, you'll answer for both of them. We think about those actions, those individuals are trying to say, you can't do this. And some are saying it's right to have a choice to do so. That choice doesn't change just because some say it's okay and they have that right of choice doesn't mean it's right. And we reminded here in verse 15, he says, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination inside of God. Mankind's standard is not God's. We have way too many today who are trying to justify themselves and, and, and try to treat themselves as, as if they are indeed righteous, which leads us into our next point, and that is becoming blind to our own faults. We look at John chapter 3 in verses 19 and 20. He says, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. What's that a reference to? They love darkness, which is sin, rather than light, which is righteousness. Why? Because their deeds were evil. They were trying to do what? To be, to be blind to their own faults. Verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Think about it this way. For everyone who, who hates, uh, everyone, who, or excuse me, everyone that does evil, everyone that does sin, hateth God. That's basically what he's talking about. Because God is light. Christ is light. John chapter 1 and following. So everyone who, who loves to do evil but hateth God doesn't come to Him. Why? Because His deeds will be exposed. We've been talking on the topic of apologetics in our online class on Saturday. And we talked on this very, mentioned this very topic. Why do some not want to retain God their knowledge as we found there in the book of Romans chapter 1? There are those who don't want to retain God in their knowledge. Why? Because it meant they would have to, to change their life drastically. They'd have to change everything. So what happens for some? They become blind to their own faults, become blind to their own sin. When you do so, in your mind, you don't have to change. So now you're self-righteous as well. What else should a Christian fear? Think about this for a moment. Falling out of love with God. Falling out of love with God. It's a simple question. Should the Christian love God? Yes. Should the Christian love Christ? Yes. Should the Christian love the church? Yes. But what happens if we stop loving God? What happens if we stop loving Christ? If we stop loving the church? Look at Malachi chapter 1 in verse, in verse 2 here. Here, they are, here the Lord is dealing with these people, and He says, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? 
The Lord's saying, I love you. And their reply is, how have you loved us? Prove it. Really? How many things does God have to do to show his love for mankind? These individuals were blessed by God. They were to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth, much like we are today, according to his commandments, and they were not. And when he, when he says here in verse 2, have, I have loved you, saith the Lord, and they did what? They deny the idea that he loves them. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou, hast thou loved us? Falling out of love with God means we stop caring about God. We stop caring about the church. We no longer are afraid of the judgment day. We think of it as something that's in the long, distant future. And then we become unprepared, don't we? You know, sometimes <clears throat> we think about the storm season in Oklahoma, so to speak, the storm season when spring comes around. What do we expect to see a lot of on the news in the area of weather come springtime? Probably a lot of tornado warnings, right? And we start getting things prepared. We start thinking, okay, I want to make sure that if this happens, if something comes up, that this room or whatever it is is prepared, it's cleaned out. We have everything we need to get in there. We can go in there any moment. We are prepared for when that siren goes off. Should we be any, any different for the Christian when it comes to Judgment Day? Making sure we are prepared. The Bible doesn't say a siren goes off. It does say a trumpet will sound, doesn't it? How, you think about these lessons for us today. We think about fear. How can we address it? We have to realize that spiritual fear comes from lack of preparation. If you're afraid, many times it's because you're unprepared. If you're out in the woods, you can walk across a bear, and all you have is a pocket knife, you're going to be more afraid than you would be if you had a shotgun instead. One is you're going to be afraid. One, you're going to still be afraid, but at least you have something to defend yourself with. Spiritual fear comes from a lack of preparation. You look at Matthew chapter 25. We know this beginning in verse 1 and following as the parable of the uh, of the story of the ten virgins right five were prepared and five were not right we all have heard this before probably it says in verse one of matthew 25 then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom and five of them were wise and five were foolish interesting before he goes any further he says five are wise and five are foolish and then he makes it very clear which ones are wise and which ones are foolish they took, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Why were they foolish? Because they weren't prepared. They weren't prepared. But the wise, verse 4, took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While their bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. We put this in 2022 terms. It's like going on a long trip and forgetting your cell phone charger, right? It's only going to last so long. Those lamps are only going to last so long before they burn out. You have no oil put back in them. The Bible says in verse 5, On the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. He's coming. But what's the problem? Verse 7. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are, are gone out. 
The first ones that speak are those who are unprepared. Hey, help us out. If we do so, we're all going to be unprepared. Look at verse 9. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and for you. But go ye rather to, to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Go to the market and buy your own. Because why? Because we are prepared. If you take of ours, we'll both be unprepared. On the day of judgment, is that the time to worry and, and say, you know what, maybe I should obey what I need to do now? Well, judgment day is too late. And that's the problem we find here. The bridegroom is coming and it's already too late. Those who are unprepared, they can't do anything about it. Look, look again at verse, uh, verse uh, 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. The answer and said, Really, I say, say to you, I, do, I know you not. Why do you not know them? Because they weren't prepared. They weren't identified as being a part of those who were prepared, so he didn't know them. Unprepared makes you unidentified before God. Watch therefore, he says in verse 13, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Since you don't know when, God is, when, when Christ is coming back, you need to be ready, right? If, if you're going on a long trip and someone says, Hey, I'm going to pick you up at such and such time and we'll leave from your house, don't you need to be ready at such and such time? Yes, if you're a courteous person, you'll be ready when they get there. And if you're not, what happens? Well, they'll probably not be very happy. You're unprepared, you're going to do what? Everything changes. But if you're unprepared on the day of judgment, everything's going to change on a much larger scale, isn't it? Heaven will be beyond your grasp when you're unprepared on the judgment day. Being unprepared results in spiritual death. Think about this for a moment, because we've been hearing this, at least I've heard a lot about this lately. But make no mistake, ignorance is no excuse. Look at Hosea 4 and verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. People die because they don't know what they need to know. He doesn't say my people are spared because of their lack of knowledge. He says my people are destroyed. He's talking spiritually speaking. Because of their lack of knowledge. There are those today who will go to, go to Scripture and say, well, you know, it's a sin of ignorance, so God will overlook it. The Bible never says that. You know, even the Old Testament, those who committed sins of ignorance still had to bring an offering before God. Even on sins of ignorance. What does that tell you? Does that sound like ignorance is an excuse? No, instead what it sounds like is they should have knew better is what it sounds like, Right? Hosea 4, verse 6, same idea. Now people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And what happens? Because the house rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. You ever heard, your, remember growing up, you ever heard your parents say, you know better than that? I heard it. I don't think I'm the only one. Lack of knowledge or ignorance is not an excuse. We never find God sparing people because of their lack of knowledge. Fear can be prevented. 
Fear can be prevented. If you think about those things that we are afraid of, well, we can't overcome them. We can't prevent becoming afraid of other things. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we find that fear is prevented by preparedness. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's also how you are prepared for the events described in verse 14. By doing what? Fearing God and keeping His commandments. That prepares you for the judgment day in verse 14. Preparedness will cast out fear. If you're prepared, there's nothing to be afraid of. If you are right in the sight of God, there's nothing to be afraid of. He says in verse 13, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Why do we want to be prepared? Because in verse 14, the judgment day is coming and every work will be brought into judgment. But if we obey God's commands, obedience to His will, obedience to His commands, repenting of our sins when we fall short, if we do those things and remain faithful to God, we, will have to be, we do not have to be afraid on the day of judgment. Those tears we may shed on the judgment day won't be because of fear, but because we get to see our great and awesome God. Preparedness builds eagerness for judgment day and not fear. As we close, I want us to look at one section of Scripture here going to Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1. And think about how he, how he looks at fear here in Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the, wicked, when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat my flesh, they stumbled and fell. That's not literal. Coming to eat him, that idea they're coming to kill him, destroy him, right? They stumbled and fell. Why? Because the Lord is his strength. The Lord is his light and salvation, verses 1 and 2. Though an host shall encamp against me, that's a reference to a large number of people, though a massive amount of people come against me, he says, my heart shall not fear. Though war should, should rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore, I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Why? Because he doesn't have to be afraid. He lists all those examples about the crowds, about the violence, about the war. He references God there in verse 4 and following as if he's going to hide him in a place of protection. He says in verse 5, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Places of protection. Places, as we find a lot of part of verse 5 there, really a place of, of uh, power and authority. If you're up upon the rock, you're looking down to have a better vantage point, don't you? God will 
give him no reason to be afraid. And as a result, he says in verse 6, Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. The Christian who puts God first and is remaining faithful to him has no reason to fear, right? We saw this earlier back in Psalm uh, 23 and verse 4 when we talked about how he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't have to run because he recognized that God was with him. But friends, if we're not following God, you won't be able to run fast enough through any valley. There won't be no way out. The only way we get out of the valley, the only way we get back to the mountaintop, to the top of the rock mentioned in verse 5, the only way we, we are able to be hidden in his, in his pavilion and in his tabernacle, that place of safety, is if we put God first. That begins by obeying the gospel and it continues by obeying his word each and every day. And when we fall short, we make it right in the sight of God. Not in the sight of men, because men have different standards. We make it right in the sight of God. We confess those things to Him, and the first John tells us He is faithful and just, forgive us of our sins, and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1 and verse 9. But we want to have nothing to fear. We have to fear Him who matters most, and that is God. You go back to Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. What did he say to fear? Fear him and keep his commandments, for he, for this is man's all. Fear God, follow him. We think about the things we may fear in our lives. Because if we are following God, we can put our trust and faith in him and know that he will lead us out of any valley and lead us through any storm. But in order for that to happen, we have to be those who put Him first and make Him the priority in everything that we do. This morning, as you think about these things, if we can have